0: Glory be to the Father.
1: Join with me
2: now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host.
1: Well, as if the Thanksgiving get-togethers weren't enough, you probably, many of you perhaps, are experiencing some apprehension about who's coming to dinner for Christmas dinner, who's going to be around during these great and pretty long festive times of the Christmas season. And with that, you may be apprehensive about, well, for instance, who your college son or college daughter is bringing home for this Christmas break. Or what kind of relative may be visiting and you have to invite them and so on. So, apprehensive. Well, there was a similar situation, actually, when we look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And that's what we do on this Sunday before just before the birth of Jesus Christ. And we do this in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Last Sunday, you may recall, we looked at the patriarchs, the patrimony of Jesus Christ, in terms of the great figures of the Old Testament, Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and so on. So that was pretty glorious. This one has some glory to it as well, but it's the actual genealogy, actually how Christ came through the human lineage, all the way through to his most blessed mother, and of course, his foster father, Joseph, how that happened in terms of, well, in a sense, like a biological genealogy. Before, it was more the mystical, historical genealogy of Christ, the patriarchs. Now, it's a little bit of a nuanced change, but it's still very different, very significant in its difference. Last time, the great figures of the Old Testament. This time, it includes a lot of them, but it also includes some that aren't so great. You wonder why they're even in there, just like your own families. We have a good family, but why is this person in this family? How come this person behaves this way? We weren't brought up this way. How come my kids not going to church anymore? We brought them up Catholic, etc. Well, it was also with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, but there's a reason for that, as always, the way that God works. Now, the genealogy of Jesus Christ is featured only in Matthew's gospel, and this is the one we read in the Byzantine church the Sunday before the actual birth of Christ. And let me read a couple of the footnotes in Matthew's gospel from our biblical experts as they comment on this very interesting and can also be somewhat confusing or boring genealogy. I remember as a child growing up in my Byzantine church, whenever I would hear the priest read this gospel, I would go think to myself, well, What's the point of that? It's because they would say so and so begat. These two use the word begat. It's not so much used in some translations today, but that was the original way in English. They would say so and so begot, so and so begot, so and so begot, so and so. And I would wonder, who are these people? What's the point of this? This is monotonous. Well, as I grew, especially I went to the seminary and I started to study Scripture and learn about the theology and the liturgical calendar. I thought, wow, this is not boring. This is actually fascinating and brilliant. And it has a great, great lesson for us, and one that can maybe help you if you're apprehensive about some of those guests coming over for Christmas dinner. Here's what the scholars say. While the genealogy shows the continuity of God's providential plan from Abraham on, discontinuity is also present. The women Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, bore their sons through unions that were in varying degrees strange and unexpected in other words, sometimes through sin, and also breaking the direct lineage of the house of David, the the Judean lineage. These irregularities culminate in the supreme irregularity of the Messiah's birth of a virgin mother. The age of fulfillment is inaugurated by a creative act of God, drawing upon both biblical and tradition and Jewish stories, Matthew portrays Jesus as reliving the exodus experience of Israel and the persecutions of Moses. His rejection by his own people and his passion are foreshadowed by the troubled reaction of all Jerusalem to the question of the Magi who are seeking the newborn king of the Jews, and by Herod's attempt to have him killed. The Magi who do him homage prefigure the Gentiles who will accept the preaching of the gospel. The infancy narrative proclaims who Jesus is the Savior of his people from their sins, Emmanuel in whom God is with us and the Son of God. So notice there's a lot in that commentary because there's a lot in this genealogy. What it's showing is a certain continuity. In other words, God would still have his plan fulfilled and would come from Abraham and go in a direct and yet at the same time not so direct lineage. There were foreigners who got involved in this and also sinners who got involved in this, and yet it still happened. And what does this say to us, and how can this be helpful for us around that apprehensive Christmas dinner, or any time you're entertaining or visiting relatives, some of which you may be uncomfortable about? Well, it tells us this, that God does something, which I believe it was St. Bernard mentioned to us or taught, that grace, God's grace, can act in a way where it acts through a conduit, in other words, people, but it also can be grace that fills a person. In other words, a person is acting out of grace or they can act as a conduit of grace. In other words, God can act however he wants through people. He acted through certain individuals to make sure that the lineage was preserved so that Christ was born from the royal house of David through that lineage. But also he did things like, Think about it. Think about Judas. He was one of his apostles. And Judas did good things. He was a conduit while he was an apostle. Although, yes, he was putting his hand in the till. He was like the accountant for the apostles and he was cheating it. But he also would have been doing some good things too because he was an apostle. But those good things would have been where Judas was acting as a conduit. For grace and not necessarily being filled with grace. So, God worked through him because, in a sense, he, and it's hard to understand this, but this is the reality, in a sense, he kind of needed Judas. In other words, Judas had to perform that particular function. Now, we're not praising Judas, obviously. We do condemn his betrayal of Christ. But in ways only God can do, he takes the worst thing and makes it a conduit of his grace— Had Jesus not been betrayed and therefore arrested and therefore put on the cross and therefore descending into hell, defeating the bonds of Hades and the devil's grip on us and then rising up, all that sequence of events began after Judas betrayed him. And again, we're not praising that action. It is clearly condemned in the scripture and by Christ. And yet Christ could take Judas and he would act as a conduit in order for the plan of Jesus to be fulfilled. It's a strange mystery for us, but we apply this genealogy to our own families. Remember, you always make the scriptures relevant. The scriptures are not a history lesson. Yes, they are about something that did happen in history, but everything that happens in the scripture, everything about God and the Bible is timeless. It acts in a way where it has no past, present, or future even though it has all three of those things, they kind of act as one. They fuse into one, so they're always in the present time. And so, what's happening in the genealogy of Christ is happening with us, with our own families. In other words, what we're going to do to relieve our apprehension, to make this truly a real Christmas, what it's all about, is to apply To our families, especially those we're apprehensive about, what happened in Christ's genealogy. In other words, that God was still in charge. God would be working through even things that had to do with sin or, in some way, a disorder of the lineage. He would act through that to still accomplish his plan. And so it is with families, with relatives. We can apply the same thing to our own experience where we look to see where God might be acting through this or that person, even through the things we are not comfortable with about them. I'm not talking about exonerating or justifying any kind of bad behavior. I'm just talking about them as a person. How is it that God can act even through them? And what is God calling us to do with them and about them, especially if they're coming over for Christmas dinner? One of the things that we have to think about, and this is a really good time and a good scripture passage, a good feast day of the genealogy for us to draw upon. What we have to do is learn from this what Christmas really is all about. What happened during this genealogy? It was the true light, God coming through everything, joyful, wonderful, holy people, but also people that were very flawed. Or they were foreigners, foreign intrusions into the lineage. They were not Jewish people, but they were still part of the whole picture. We have to learn that our happiness is really not what's important at Christmas time. Rather, what's important is our joy. Now, what do we mean by our joy? We mean that it's something that stays within our soul, something that nothing or no one can take from us. Joy is not just about an exuberant feeling, it's about a great sense of joy. Of, of peace and of a, a certain happiness, but beyond happiness. It's a joy that comes from being truly rooted within our hearts in Jesus Christ and applying that joy, that vision of Christ, that sense of Christ to everything and everybody so that our joy of Christmas is not dependent upon whether we got all the decorations up, the dinner was very successful, everybody was happy, we got all the presents wrapped and delivered and so on. We make so much of the trappings, sort of the the offshoots of it, the thing itself. And that's where we run into problems. We're gonna talk more about this and apply the genealogy of Christ to our Christmas when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
2: Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching light of the east mission is christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the catholic church we need your support in order to keep light of the east on the air you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com that's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card with your help
0: we can keep light of the east's illumination bright welcome to a saint nicholas minute Did you know that a princess helped introduce St. Nicholas to the Western world? This happened in the year 972 when Princess Theophano, the niece of Emperor John of Constantinople, brought a mosaic icon of yours truly St. Nicholas to Rome as a wedding gift to her husband-to-be Otto II, the future emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. After their royal wedding mass, celebrated by Pope John Thirteenth in the old St. Peter's Basilica, Princess Theophano became the Lady die of her age. Suddenly, everything she did, including her love of St. Nicholas, seemed to be copied by everyone. In fact... Besides me, there's one more thing she introduced to the Western world that you'll use during your meal this Christmas the dinner fork. <laughs> so, as we raise our dinner forks this Christmas, let's remember the royal princess who worshiped the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as we proclaim Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs>
1: Hi, I'm Bishop Earl Boyer for WJKNAM and W two two seven BYFM Good Shepherd Catholic Radio in Jackson, Michigan, and you're listening to Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And what we're doing is looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And again, as always, seeing the scripture events as celebrated in the liturgical calendar of the church, in this case, the Sunday before Christmas, and seeing how those events are real today, they are relevant. To today, and we can apply them to our situation. Even a situation that often happens around the so-called holidays, actually their holy days, and that is the stress and apprehension about who we're getting together with. Who's coming to dinner, as the old saying goes. It was actually a name of a famous movie, became a kind of a cliche. We mentioned that Christ's genealogy shows that he is God, that he worked through crooked lines and straight lines, but he still redeemed this whole plan he had of salvation. Oftentimes, having people act as conduits of grace, and sometimes they were, in fact, filled with grace. And that's the same thing with ourselves. I left off before the break by saying that, making a distinction, actually, between happiness and joy. During the Christmas time, whatever happens, and this is where we really apply today's gospel, the genealogy of Christ, and how God acts through history and through people. When we do that, here's what we do. Whatever happens, whether it's the unplanned thing, the unfortunate thing, the tragic thing, or the beautiful, the glorious thing, none of those things make or break our Christmas. I got good news for you. Here's my little Christmas gift to you. There's no such thing as a bad Christmas. Don't worry about that things didn't get done just as you wanted them to be, or that people didn't act exactly as you wanted them to be, or there were arguments and so on. Don't worry about those things. Those things, then, become your Christmas. That's right. See, it's win-win. See, when we approach things through the eyes of this living Scripture, notice I say living Scripture, and through the liturgical life of the church, like this Sunday, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, when we do that, we end up win-win. It may not always be comfortable or easy or painless, But it is a win because those so-called disappointing or bad things are and become the Christ event. They become, they draw you into the real Christmas event. Because what was this about? What was it really about? Did God, as we say in the Eastern churches, did he condescend, did he empty himself, belittle himself to become a human creature? one of his own pieces of creation while still remaining the infinite God? Did he come and do all that, luring himself, and he wouldn't stop. He would take on our suffering. He would take on all of our insult. He'd be crucified by us. In other words, his, his bride, his humanity, his creation, he wouldn't stop there. He would allow himself to then descend into the very bowels of hell to break the bonds of the devil, to release the captives, and to take them then to heaven with him. Imagine that. He did all of that. Why? So we could shop, exchange presents, have food, have a get-together, sing some carols, and that's it? I mean, those things are good, they're nice, but they're like the crumbs from a great loaf of bread. The crumbs taste good, too. In fact, sometimes when it's that good, we will (laughs) admittedly lick the crumbs off the plate. But is that why we sat down to dinner to eat the crumbs? As good as they are? No, we sat down to enjoy and avail ourselves of the richness of that bread The actual thing. And the actual thing of Christmas is the great mystery hidden from all ages and now revealed. The invisible God become visible, tangible, through and in the very physical order that He Himself created, which means his infusion in His own created order, which means into our lives, into our very bodies, into that cave in Bethlehem, into the stars in the sky into everything means that he is the God of it all, and everything has a supernatural dimension to it. That means that everything in creation points to, participates in, and reveals God. Even the bad things, as we see in this genealogy. How clever was God to make sure that that got into the Bible for us before Christmas? It's like God himself was saying, Christ himself was saying, hey, I'm gonna tell you why I came. I'll give you a little hint before I actually come. I'm coming so that you will learn and see that I am the God of all. In the end, my way triumphs, even through crooked lines or crooked people. Now, when you approach Christmas this way, And again, use this genealogy today to help you because it gives us assurance of what I'm saying. If you approach Christmas this way, what's going to happen is you're going to find that your happiness, quote-unquote, the good time, the good Christmas, which is actually very fleeting and very dependent upon things and people which are fallible, you're going to find that that's going to change. It's going to give rise to real joy and real transformation. So that the thing that happens, whether good or unexpected, undesirable, or even tragic, that becomes your Christmas. That becomes your experience of the God who became visible and enters into our reality from the glorious, happiest, beautiful things to the most tragic things and everything in between. It is still Christ. You see, when we have the joy that I'm talking about and the joy that why Christ came to give us this joy, you know, peace on earth, joy, goodwill to men, joy to the world, we got to take that more literally, but also in a mystical way. We have to understand what that actually means. It's serious business. It's not just a nice, pretty word, nice Christmas carol. It means I came to give you what no one or nothing can take away from you. That no matter what happens, you can be above that. You can still have within yourself this joy. Now, many of you might know what I'm talking about if you just think about your own lives, especially if you're married and have children, or if you're a priest, you're religious. Because we're both involved in what we call the spousal love, in other words, to be a religious or to be married, two sides of the same coin, to love, as St. John Paul II would say, spousally, as God loved us. Those of us who are in a spousal vocation, and that includes celibate. Celibacy is a spousal vocation in a mystical way. We know well hurts and disappointments. We know very well. Not only do we experience ourselves, but we see it in other people that we try to help that come to us after being hurt and betrayed and so on. Yet, let me ask you, for those of you in a, I would say, fruitful, successful sacramental marriage, for those of you in religious life. Who are still dedicated to that, still zealous. You, we, I, have all had tragedy, disappointment, hurt, betrayal. I'm sure you have had it. If you haven't already, you will have it. Does that take away then your love, your vocation, the love of God, that which is deep in your heart? Can you endure many hurtful things and yet still have that sense of well, I would never leave my spouse. I would never leave the priesthood or the monastery because I just don't feel that kind of sense at all to leave. This is what I am. This is what I feel at peace about deep within me. See, that is why Christ came to be born. And that is what he's trying to say to us through his own genealogy, that through the dark and the light of things, I am God, and you stay rooted in me, and you will always know joy and peace that nothing or no one can take from you. It's not dependent upon anything. It is always there. So you see it's win-win, but if we approach things in the right way, in the true way, the joy of Christmas, the joy of the coming Christ, is not based upon whether everything went well or everybody acted well. It's about whether we have that interior peace and joy within us. And again, we have to understand what I'm talking about with joy. We get very superficial about things. Joy is not just a good feeling. It's actually beyond a good feeling. It's more than a good feeling. It's a deep sense of being rooted, of being in your right place, of being who you really, really are, of having a deep inner peace no matter what happened. Think about the saints, how many of them were tortured and brutally treated until they finally were killed. Many of them survived the torture, and the torturers couldn't understand it until they finally had to behead them. I don't know if you've ever read many of the stories of the saints, but (laughs) it's almost a little funny for me because these stories talk about how terribly treated these, these saints were. I mean, the torture is almost hard to read, but they didn't die. Sometimes they would bounce right back, sometimes miraculously. In the end, they had to chop their heads off because nothing else worked. When I read these stories, I think to myself, boy, if I endured even the first piece of that kind of torture, I think I would die right away. But many of them didn't. So they endured this to the point of where they actually had to have their heads chopped off. Yet what they couldn't take from them, and of the saints have these famous stories where they actually said things very confidently, almost mockingly, while they were being tortured. No one could take from them that love of Christ, that inner peace. And they went, as painful as it was, they went willingly to their martyrdom because they had that joy of Christ in them. That is what Christ came to give us. That was his gift to us. And that is what I pray and hope you will experience during this Christmas time. Thanks for listening. I'm
2: Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes.
1: Hey everyone, this is Carlo Brusard from Catholic Answers. When you were a kid, wasn't it exciting as you waited for Christmas? I know it was for me. The Church recognizes that this sense of excitement in anticipation for something great belongs to us as human beings. This is why she gives us the season of Advent, a time to rouse within us a sense of childlike excitement in preparation for the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. So, be a child of the kingdom as you anticipate the child who is our King.